Welcome to Design Meets Business, a show that inspires designers to think beyond pixels. I'm your host, Christian Vasile, and on this podcast, I sit down with creatives to talk about their stories, lessons they've learned during their careers, and how you can use design to make a bigger impact in your organization. Today, we're talking to Rafa Prada, a London-based product designer and college lecturer. We're discussing the blind spots of design education, what's the first thing he does when he takes on a new client, and how design is thought of in different organizations and sectors. Rafa, thank you so much for joining the Design Meets Business podcast. Just to let everyone know, you and I used to work together at British Gas more than a year ago, although we were in a different team. So while we didn't get to work with each other directly, the fact that you were one of the most talented people in there uh, was never a secret. It was very much out there. So we'll get into what's your secret sauce today. And before that, like in any other episode, I want to give everyone an understanding of what's your story and where you're coming from and what made you want to become a designer, all, all that good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, thanks, man. Thanks for inviting me here. It's been a pleasure. And um, well, um, again, you know, the thing is uh, we we have a really good time at British Gas and uh, and I think that we can talk a lot about, you know, all the stuff that happens there. But the way to get to that point, I've, I'm coming from a from a small city in Spain. Uh, a lot of people know about it. It's called Seville, Sevilla. And they uh, studied their fine arts and, and that was kind of a way to get into proper stages of curiosity. I do believe that design is all about being curious and try to understand well and then trying to bring a solution into the table very well. Uh, so they naturally kind of very slowly kind of move towards uh, the place that I am now. I run my own company and I do consultancy for big firms, but I try always to, to get into the more collaborative spaces if that's the case. So I guess that talking about those collaborations and that collaborative space um, is is quite um, is, you know is is quite a good thing to to do in there. So looking a bit over your background, you you said yourself you you have a background in arts. But I, someone told me you also have a background in, in coding. And that is a very interesting combination. Usually you're, you're very creative or you're very logical. You, you have a bit of both. T- tell us a bit about that. How did you get into coding when your background was in arts? So, yeah, so that's, a, that's, um, that's something that I question myself as well sometimes, right? Because it's, uh, it's like, it's the same thing, right? I, I think in the same way, it's like, how has that even happened? <laughs> and, uh, and the only kind of answer that I could get to that is that basically when, you, when you're an artist and when you train as an artist and you create things, you, you, you create objects, you create paintings, you create drawings, uh, you create sculptures, then you have this feeling of ending. You know, you're going to you, you, you complete something and, and then it's out in the wild. Then when you started to do things more related to design, uh, which are more... I would say that um, when you talked about design, it's like way more inclusive. When you're an artist, you produce something, you give it to the to someone that would buy it or not buy it. When you do design, you design for people or for businesses. So you design for a reason. So it gets to a point where being a designer, we will always create bridges. Uh, so I will do design that then maybe someone is going to print. I will do a design that someone is going to then uh, make into a website. Um, and that was... That was a bit of a thing that I was missing, right? I need to understand how things are made in order to make them properly. Uh, and that's how it slowly kind of got into code and then make sure that I understand why. And this is talking about, you know, we're talking about like six or 10 years ago, right? We were still having conversation about responsive design. It's like, oh my God, why is these things from 50 pixels to 1%? It's like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> so those, were, those are the kind of the, 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 the learning points, I guess, that, that gets you to do into coding and, and then kind of grow from there. So where was the point where you said, okay, enough is enough. Now let's focus more on, on design and bridging that gap between businesses and customers and being that pivot point in the middle that acts to, I guess, please everyone's needs. Yeah. So as um, I, I have a personal kind of opinion that critical thinking is very important and critical thinking is not really something that uh, people get trained of or, or maybe kind of being taught in the schools or any of that stuff. So that's something that's inside you. You're either a critical thinker or you or you grow into critically looking to those things. And with this, I mean that 
at some point you you work and you do design based on someone will tell you to do thing or a creative director will tell you what to do you kind of you need more answers right you need to make sure in order to make something that is useful for a user you need to understand what's happening right you need to understand what's happening and that's how you just kind of slowly say look listen there is no way that a successful piece it could be called a product it could be called a service there's no way that this will be successful if someone gathers the information pass it to someone then that information goes to me then the information i make a mock-up and pass it to the developer and then we go on that needs to be much more fluid right it needs to be much more connected because otherwise you know they, they obviously like the chinese how do you call it in english the chinese phone or the chinese uh, whispers whispers, chinese whispers, chinese whispers. Right? Yeah. And then you always lose information on, down the line and people make decisions down the line, which might not be a decision based on you know, what's the necessary thing for the end product, basically. So how do you bridge that gap, right? You join a company and maybe they don't have these processes in place. Maybe they do a lot of Chinese whispers. Maybe you're the first designer. Where do you start from? It's, um, it's interesting because I recently joined another company. Well, I, I want my clients and... Um, and it's very much that what's happened, right? We're talking about a situation where you get onboarded into a company in the middle of a pandemic. And we're talking, you know, I know that you, uh, Christian, you talk a lot about um, distributed teams and remote work. So it's very similar. It's just that now it feels more real for same people, right? For people feels like, oh, you know, I cannot go to the office, so we need to introduce this person. So, <clears throat> so when I get to places like the one that you described, I'll... Things that I do is just basically talk to everyone. You know, I, I spend my first month just talking to everyone. Everyone needs to know that is someone, you know, someone new here and, and make very clear that what I'm doing here is help everyone, right? That we're in this together and try to bridge that somehow, right? You go and then you say, well, I'm going to talk to my direct team. And it's like, well, but this team needs to talk to the stakeholders and these stakeholders have their own teams. And, and, the, and the bubble kind of grows, grows, grows. So you can spend basically the whole first month trying to make sure that people understand what you do, why you're there, what's your purpose, what's your role, and, and then you understand theirs as well. Because it's very important. Sometimes you get to places where I want to do, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a set designer. I need to create this particular thing, which could be a piece of content or it could be a particular feature. Uh, and I've got my specific needs, which is basically make sure that it's very user-focused, it's very user-centric, or it's, uh, or it's kind of good for the business, right? It's important for the business. But then you talk to a project manager, and then you realize and, and that maybe they have another set of needs. They might be, I don't know, they might have a bonus, and that bonus is based on a particular outcome. So how can we bridge this? You know, this is important for that person, right? Like, how can we make it... That it goes, works for everyone, really. And this, you know, trying to kind of uncover all those needs, those kind of unique needs, I feel that a lot of the times is, it takes long. Uh, so it's normally not, not, not something that you could flip in a, in a week or two because you need to get trust. You need to gain trust with everyone. And that's, that's really tough. Building trust takes a lot of time. You're right. And it takes even more time when you're trying to build it as, as this outsider that comes into a company nobody knows you nobody knows who you are and you're trying to build trust so what are some tips there how do you approach those conversations whether it's a developer whether it's a project manager whether it's someone underneath or above you how do you approach those conversations on your day four or day 21 i mean if if, if it was in a, in a kind of in a physical space i just kind of i, I just kind of go and talk to people <laughs> i just I'm, I'm shameless on that end so i just go and talk to people really uh, but no, honestly, what I what I normally do is um, is being very humble. So it's like you know, I know nothing, and I need to know about this company. Uh, and it, it happens, you know, I do believe in in people, and people is genuinely generous when they go to work because they know that someone is new, um, and they come in with a particular purpose. Normally, uh, your line manager or someone that is above you could be like I don't know the VP or something might do a little bit of an intro. To the team, but but those have a very kind of generic interests. Um, you you know what I normally do is send very polite emails saying, "Hey, I do this. I know I'm not new in in the company now. We're working on different things, but I really need to have your input and understand 
what is what you're working on. Basically, just try to understand what the people is working on. And that opens up these kind of very candid conversations where they tell you about stuff, what is their priorities, or even if they don't tell you directly what's their priority, they will tell you, you know, the first thing that they tell you is normally what's normally most important for them. Uh, so that's always kind of a good, a good start. So you've joined now a bigger company where it's maybe as a freelancer, as a vendor, they're not expecting you to deliver the first minute, right? They probably understand the fact that you need to take your time and do this the right way. But say you're joining a startup tomorrow and you know very well in startups, people are running fast. Would you use the same approach in a startup to say, look, I know we're all running, but I need to take two weeks to talk to everyone? Or would you try to balance the two together? in a company where you're expected to deliver fast? So that's, that's a very, very good question, actually, because I, I did almost... Um, so just before this company, I was almost jumping into another startup. And, um, and that's something that I was thinking about, right? Like, what, what would I do? Um, their particular project that they have was a, a new product, a completely new product, but they have quite fragmented uh, interfaces and quite fragmented uh, pieces of work. And they, I felt that they didn't know exactly what were the next steps for them. So I guess that the point is when you join a startup and they know that they need specifically this, you need to deliver. You need to deliver quickly. If they're very clear on what they want and what they need and it makes sense, you need to deliver on that. Now, there's always kind of a, a balance out because sometimes you need to push back in certain areas where you say, look, guys, uh, this is not adding value to anyone. It will be, be case by case, really. But if that particular startup has done their homework and they've got those needs, cool, right? We just need to understand that one. So um, um, it's, it's a bit of a, of a complicated question because I've also believed that uh, short engagements are very tricky. Like short engagements are very, very tricky. They will be hired as a, as almost like someone that will turn around something very quickly uh, without context. And and again, that goes back to the beginning of the problem that I, that I told you when I was uh, when I kind of break through uh, this way of working. I, I think it's really hard to turn up very, things very quickly. I don't know. You have some experience doing bits like that. I don't know if, what you think about it. Yeah, for me, it's a balance. So. Whenever you join a company for longer, I agree with you. You you do need to spend the first weeks doing that, uh, talking to everyone else, making your face visible, making everyone know your name, and uh, also to talking to them about what you do there and how you can help them. Sometimes you're going into a six-week engagement where you need to design a whole new product in six weeks. And that is, you're really up against it. So in that case, I think there's a matter of how much of these discussions I can have with people without damaging the chances of me delivering on time. And it depends from project to project. I always say the more you're able to talk to people and understand their points of view, the better the work is going to be. And I try to bake that into engagements. I try to make it clear to my, uh, when I put timelines together for clients, I say, look, actually don't expect anything the first week or two, because here's what's going to happen in the first week of two. There won't be any deliverables. And sometimes they are, they really need you to deliver something very fast. And frankly, in that case, we might not be a good fit. I do need to to talk to everyone in the business. I need to do my due diligence and the things that I know are right in order for my work to be good. So skipping that part is putting myself at risk and my work at risk. So sometimes I just say, look, if you don't have two weeks for me to do my due diligence or however long I need for that project, we might not be a good fit. And then I send them to someone else. I think it's really important. It's maturity as well, right? There's maturity in the design way we do it because um, something you said is really inter interesting is this caring about the work that you're going to deliver. You know, you understand that if you don't do this, you're not going to deliver a piece like a like a like a like a critical piece of work, or it's not going to be a good work. And and that's very important. And again, you know, it depends on the companies, right? But one of my my, my previous cases as well. I was brought as um, as a product designer. You know that our product design is a bit of a, a catch-all these days, right? But, but hey, the, a lot of people think about product design as purely interfaces, right? So I've been brought as that, and and then very quickly everything flipped because it was like, oh, the UI is not important anymore. 
Rafa, we need to do we need to do what you said, which is basically do the right thing first. They didn't understand what was the right thing to do, right? So it's like, well, you know, I can give you an interface, but I don't care if it's a table, if it's a button. I, I don't care about these things. What I do care is, are we are we doing this particular journey right for the users, so then we can get value to the business? If we don't do that, the, why are we going to even do it? <laughs> it's like there's no point in doing it. I think it's great you mentioned this. I, um, if people have listened to the previous episodes, on episode one, Austin is talking about how it, this happens a bit because it's because of ourselves as well. It's a bit our fault that we, as an industry, we haven't necessarily explained well enough what we do, and we've kind of left it. It's kind of like when you leave something at sea, it ends up on a shore somewhere else. Like it's it goes like the like the wind, and. This is what you said right now is exactly what we should do as designers, which is speak up and explain what we do. Not because we're these great unicorns, whatever you call them, but simply because that's the right thing to do so that we can help our clients and the companies we work for get better results through the powers we have as designers. So sometimes you're right. It's about educating people. People just don't know because all they've heard left and right is that design is only about the UI and creativity. So I totally agree with you. Sometimes it's just about saying, hey, look, this this is how this is what I recommend you do. And what you do with that information is up to you. And I think this segues really well into what I want to talk next, which is transparency. Because when you join a company, what you said that you do, which is you go around and talk to people, that's transparency in a way. You're you're transparent. Uh, regarding what your role is and you're transparent regarding the fact that you're there to help everyone uh, reach their goals if you can and bridge that gap between customers and the business and then you've been with that company for three years and nobody has any clue of what you're doing and i love talking to designers about how they talk about their work in their companies and about how they are more transparent with what happens. If you have a usability testing session, you want to be transparent with everyone in the company about what happened in that testing session, not only use it to inform the next product decision. So throughout your career, how have you tried to make yourself and your work more transparent in organizations? Um, so I, this is this is great. I, I, I love what you're saying because it's true, right? There's few things that happens. Um, on that journey that you just described. And uh, one of them is that sometimes we've got doubts, right? We question ourselves. And then it's like, oh gosh, am I a designer now? I'm, <laughs> I'm doing stuff that is not what a designer does, like, you know, by the book, but you are the designer, right? And, and I realized that when I do, what I, what I do often actually is uh, democratize these things. So what I mean with democratizing is that uh, I stopped talking about design terms. I stopped talking about tech terms. I stopped talking about any of that stuff, right? I'm not gonna take. I'm not gonna talk to you about um, what is the you know how is the backlog built. I'm not gonna talk about that. I'm gonna talk about you know what's the problems that we're trying to solve. It's like what, what's happening here? Why are we doing this? Uh, and then try to remove this terminology. It's always quite powerful. What takes you there is to the transparency that you're saying, right? Everyone understands if you tell them, uh, if you tell them, look, um, what we're building now is not allowing the users to, um, to download the form because we don't have that. Right. So it's like, it's very clear, right? We're not talking about KPIs. We're not talking about, uh, features. We're talking about, you know, just pure needs. So what I'll do is normally kind of blend myself. And, and I love what you said about the user testing. I believe that user testing at so much value at so many levels. And when we talk about user testing, we talk about generally about user research, right? Like talking to users in a need finding um, interview. Um, it's like, I'm, I'm just, I just need to know because I've been told that all of these things are problems for you. Can, can you tell me that? <laughs> are these really your problems? And you have that conversation and you invite PMs, you invite developers, you invite everyone and everyone is like, oh my God, what is this person saying? It's like, well, is saying what everyone is saying because because they are the end users <laughs> and it's what you have to understand. So so you know that's that's basically 
it's a very long-winded answer, but when I when you talked about transparency, a lot I see a lot of blending and a lot of uh, demystifying who does what, and then just kind of go and do it, right? Just try to make sure that we we've got our own remixes, so we have our own kind of things that we stand for, right? So if I'm a designer, I'm I'll make sure that I will stand for uh, consistency and and make sure that the user is being heard. And a, a, tech, a developer or an engineer will stand for, well, you know, I don't mind how we do this, but we do this in a very structured way to protect my schema. Great, you know, those are things that are important. Do I understand what schema means? No, but do I understand that this is really important for you? I do understand that, right? And I obviously understand what schema means, but, <laughs> but you don't yeah, get my yeah. point, right? Like at some point you're yeah, like, yeah. you know, I I don't really same way I don't really care how my button looks. I do care, obviously, but but it's a, it's it's an end product, right? It's, an, it's the end of the journey. There's this discussion, and I think what we've talked about until now segues really well into this. There's this discussion that design people, mostly design leaders, but the more senior you are in design as well, the more you're transitioning towards or should be transitioning towards becoming a business person. Because understanding business, it's what's going to allow you as a designer to be effective. Because as designers, we tend to talk a lot about how we work for the customers and how we you know, may meet their needs with our designs and all that. But there's the other side as well. If we don't design for the business, cust the customers are not going to have a business in five years because it's going to go down. So we need to marry the needs of the customers with the needs of the business. And I believe that what's required for that to happen is for design people to understand how businesses work and to be more transparent about their work, uh, which we've talked about. And I really like what you said earlier, which was, I don't talk about technical jargon and UX, I talk about things everyone can relate to. And I think that is a big key of transitioning from a design leader to a business leader. And it doesn't happen overnight. There's a lot of knowledge, there's a lot of experience you need for that, but it has to happen for you to become a good designer, a great designer. Design is moving from that creative industry more towards the business world, uh, I think. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with that. And, and you know, we can relate back to the very beginning of the conversation. I want to I wanna make the things that are real. I want to make them real. And in reality, customers are crucial because obviously they are kind of why we do things. You know, they are the kind of, we do the things for them and then try to kind of have a revenue and stuff. But if we don't understand what's happening in the business side of things, like why decision, decisions are made in this particular way or why... A, why we cannot do X, Y, Z now, but we will do that later. Um, they may have their arguments. They may have their kind of their, their particular needs, right? The business have needs as well, right? Like how can we make sure that as designers, in order to create this thing or support the creation of this thing, we understand all of those requirements and sometimes we influence them, right? And this is what, this is why it becomes really important, right? Because at some point you will be confronted with certain things and because you have a really broad view of what's happening, you're, you're a problem solver, right? You're not, you're not someone that makes X, Y, Z. You're a problem solver. So understanding that comes from business, um, something that is, they always done it in this way, right? Just to talk about cliches, right? They talk about the blockbuster one. You know, when they blockbuster, they just, they're just gone because they couldn't put anything into streaming. And that was like a massive problem. Someone, you know, they should have listened to the to the designers more probably and say, hey guys, you know, this is what's coming from, this is what's happening in the ground. This is what's happening in the people, in the streets. You need to be able to adjust to this, uh, to this change because this is really important. And um, again, you know, coming from the designers and we know change is important. We live in change. We designers, today we're graphic designers, tomorrow we're product designers. The day after tomorrow, we produce it. And you're like, well, what's happening? What's, how did this even happen? You know, we have to acknowledge that and make sure, you know, I've always, I was talking to a friend yesterday, actually, when we, um, when she basically um, pointed to a company, right? That was really young company. And she said, well, you know, it's, it's normal that they have issues because they're really young and they don't have the experience. So I'm like, well, I understand what you're saying. Um, 
but they like young people and our generations have a really big skill which is the 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 the, 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 the it's easy for them to change you know to make sure to adapt and that is something that i have to say business needs to keep up with they need to make sure that they're more flexible that they adapt to change because what is true today and we've seen them more often now with the pandemic really with covid and all the stuff what is true today tomorrow is not true anymore uh, so how your business can do this is, is the question that you need to always ask them all the time. So transitioning, well, take a step back. What business people really love doing is to talk numbers. That's what business people, that's what salespeople, that's what marketing people, that's what executives talk in, right? They talk in numbers. We as designers, we have a gap there. We don't always measure our work. So what I want to talk about now is how have you throughout your career measured the impact of your work? So I do, I do do a little bit of, of measuring uh, here and there, but, but to be honest, um, I try to make it real once again, right? Like, um, I try to explain very clear, um, why I'm here and why I do the things that I do. So I do a lot of collaboration, as you know, like collaboration, as I was mentioning before, in terms of transparency, collaboration is a practice. It's something that you need to foster. It's something that, that is a thing. It's not something that kind of comes out of the blue or we're collaborating. No, you need to actually massage that. So collaboration is something that helps measuring very, very well. Um, you can talk about speed even if you want to. And you put it in a very business kind of uh, terminology. You talk about speed. It's like, well, you know, why is worth doing this three-hour workshop? Or why is it worth that you, designer, sit next to a developer? And I'm like, well, I can tell you very easily. If, a develop if I design something and then send it to the developer, there's a time gap happening there. Then developer will look into that. We try to fix it. Uh, probably next sprint, uh, and then when they are in the next sprint, they will be back to us and say, "Hey, uh, Rafa, this um, this design doesn't work." So we're talking about a lifespan of three weeks already. And I will cut this, and I'm gonna look into that, and then make another change that maybe works, maybe doesn't work. And they will go not in this spring, in the next sprint again. So you very quickly quantify this. It's like, look, we need to have a designer in each development team because this decision making. Is something that designers have the background and has the knowledge to respond very quickly, but they need to be part of it. If they're not part of it, you know, you're losing three weeks, five weeks, six weeks, and then almost you, you're eating up all the time that you hire someone. And, you know, that's, 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 that translates into money directly, right? Yeah, and I think communicating that back to the business is important as well because they might not be aware that what you just said costs money, or they might be aware, but they might not know it's happening. I, I also think that something that we should be better at doing is actually measuring the, the value of, if you want, user experience, if you want to call that. And I know it's hard, and I know we have some metrics that some design leaders like and some don't, but I like to avoid getting involved in the politics of that and more objectively try to see if a metric that we could use uh, is could be useful to measure design or not. And I think... There, it's becoming more and more of a conversation of how can we measure design. And I think it's important to talk about this because the moment we can measure design, that's when we can actually bring something tangible to the business. That's when we can become those business leaders. In, in e-commerce, it's easier because we have conversion rate, right? Everything is about a conversion rate. But what if it's not e-commerce? Everything In everything else, we don't have a metric. And I think the moment we manage to find that metric, we can much easier advocate for doing the work we want to do or we know it's best to do because we can go to the business and say, look, give me two weeks and I'll improve this number. And if I don't, I'll know why I haven't because I've measured it. And then I can, I, then, then a second time or a third time around, I can do it, right? And then the business, on the other hand, can also come and say, look, we as a business want to achieve X. Can you or how can you as a design team help us do that. But right now, it feels like we're in a place where we're not measuring our work. The business side doesn't know we can measure our work. So there's this limbo where people still think that design is about colors and you know, all, all that. And it bothers me all the time. But again, as I said earlier, it's down to us not doing a good job at talking about 
the value that we add, which is why when you go into organizations like British Gas, we have that common experience. What I really liked about it, you, you, you can't say British Gas is the most mature organization in terms of design, but what they are doing right is the fact that every product team there has to test you know, once a month or whatever the timing was, and then has to give back the details and the information or the results of that research to the product team and to the wider business so other designers in other team can also learn uh, from their learning. So that is the first step towards trying to put numbers or at least specific different metrics um, on design. I really liked it's one of the one of the things that I really enjoyed there is being able to do that. And I think a lot more companies could learn from it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Totally getting that. And I think it's, it's, it's interesting because I keep bringing that example as well. In exactly the same way that you put it. It's like they're not the most mature one and, you know, it's kind of complicated. They are mature, much more mature than other companies, really. But that fact of having, like, almost every day you could do and, and, and test things is fascinating. And they also, again, uh, managed to create a bit of a, of a conversation among the designers as well. So we will be facilitating user testing. Sometimes we will run them, sometimes someone else will run it, and then we'll feed back. It's interesting because then you have a lot of designers that are at least in the loop of what's going on and you can refer back to it. And the interesting thing is, um, once again, talking about change, um, is that you need to revisit those things again, right? What's valid today is not valid tomorrow. People keep thinking that, oh, you, we, we've tested this four years ago. It's like, four years ago, man, a lot of things have changed <laughs> since. Yeah. So we need, yeah, to, yeah. we need to go back to the, we need to go back to the lab, right? And also, you know, something you mentioned is, is mega interesting. I, I definitely think that there is no standards for, uh, for measuring just yet. And, and in, a, in a way, I don't think that standardizing those measures is a good thing to have because they're very different. You mentioned now one, right? You said about uh, e-commerce is like um, the, the, the clicks or whatever. I haven't, I haven't had a lot of experience with e-commerce, but that is a very clear standardized way of measuring if your work is good and it's not work it's not good now we can talk a lot about amazon i'm not too sure if amazon is a good product or not but that's another thing it's really good for business it's absolutely really good for business but because they've got very business the business that they have in amazon is very well designed far more than the interfaces right but then you've got all the type of a uh, companies where you might have an assignment for an internal tools People don't really pay enough attention to internal tools. That oh, but you know that's what that's what people in the backing or you know people in in operation is doing. And I'm like, well, hold on a second. What if this job that you have a, an individual to do, uh, I, they need to be doing that through the week several times. We make sure that they can do the job in one day, and they have four days to support all the areas of the of the work. Oh wow, that's 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 winning. Right, that's that's rich, right? Like, how can we measure how long it takes you operations to perform on a particular task? What are the problems that you have through this? Give me a task end to end. Don't tell me I do this every day. It's like, no, no, no. Just tell me a task end to end. How long it takes you? Well, it will take me two, three, four, five minutes, ten minutes. I'm like, oh my god, how is it taking you ten minutes to perform this simple task? We need to reduce this. And then it starts to kind of, you know, highlight those measurements, right? And then you go back to the business and you're like, well, we need to spend time in this because these people, one thing is painful, the work they do is absolutely painful. Uh, and secondly, they are really talented people that could bring much more value to the business if we alleviate those four days. I don't normally talk about, um, which happens in many, you know, uh, digital transformation programs where, they basically want to get rid of the call center. That's pretty much what everyone wants to do, right? It's like, let's get rid of the call center. It's like, well, that's not the point. Let's try to find a way where the call center, with their knowledge, could support other areas of the business better, right? Because they, they will bring value and they have they have knowledge that not, no one else has in the business. How can we recycle that knowledge? How can we make it shine again, right? Without being the call center. And there's many ways of doing that, right? I work a lot in enterprise software. And one thing that I've noticed throughout the years is that there is very little incentive or motivation to improve enterprise software. And that's because 
the procurement doesn't happen with the end user. The procurement happens with someone in operations. They buy a piece of software, and then everyone in that company has to use that piece of software, whether it's good or not. So then there's no incentive to actually work on improving those. But I think that right now the differentiator, or in the future, very soon, the differentiator will be more and more, the em- the emphasis will be more and more on what you just said. Now, it takes me 10 minutes to do this with one tool. It takes me two minutes with this other tool. And we do this task 50 times a week. So I want my employees to spend less time doing this and more time doing something else. And therefore, I think in enterprise software very soon, if it's not already happening, the experience of software becomes uh, important, just like it's in consumer products. And talking about enterprise and consumer You have a lot of experience across a lot of different brands, across government work, across public companies. And I'm just curious, how is design thought of and applied in these different types of companies? So there are very different ways. And the first thing to mention on that that end is that the definition of design is very different. (laughs) So like like last year, I was working mainly with the the UK, UK government. And then we have this meeting where we were trying to, again, try to understand who, who was designer there. Like, you know, where is, where is the tribe? Where, is the design, where are all the designers here in this particular uh, department? And then we have a call and then some people help us to, you know, to make sure that everyone is in the table. We got there and then we, it's like about 10 people, right? And everyone started to introduce themselves. So it's like, oh, I'm X, Y, you know, I'm whoever from architecture. I'm whoever from process mapping. I'm whoever from whatever time. Like, no one here is a designer. <laughs> it's like, why? What? How had it happened that someone has said that you guys are designers, that you consider yourself designers? Which I'm honestly, I'm not nothing against this, but your role is to maintain a tool. It's a process tool. It's not. It's not. It's not even a. You don't even kind of create an input into that one. So the, you know, it creates a bubble where definition of design is really complicated, right? To start with. And then is the whole thing about roles and responsibilities. Some people might understand that what you do is one thing. For instance, what I mentioned before, right? Like they thought I would go and then do the interfaces, but then, and to your point, actually being able to articulate what's happening, like where are you adding the value as a designer? Uh, it takes you to a point where it's like, well, you know, maybe Rafa doesn't do interfaces only, but Far more than that, they understood that the interface that we might create is the end thing. Like there's a lot of work to do before that happens, right? So different companies work in different ways. In public sector, um, a lot of times budget constraints, and we have to make sure that obviously the money that is at hand is public money. So we're talking about taxpayers. So it's really important uh, that you measure against those things, actually talking about measuring against, like you make sure that anything you do has an imp- a direct impact into the into the people, right? That that, that lives in that particular country. Um, I have to vouch once again. Everyone has done it many times, but I have to wa- vouch once again. The UK government have this uh, GDS, the Government Digital uh, Service, I think I believe um, manual where they talk about service design in a very detailed way. You can you can say you know a lot of people have said this boring design. Or, or it's very constrained design. Hey, you know, they go from A to B very well. They reduce cost really rapidly and they make sure that they uh, solve a problem from the people industries very quickly. Um, so, you know, you have to vouch them, right? You need know, to make sure that, that, that that's really important. Other times, uh, you, as you said, you will talked about, I don't know, investment firms. And we might have uh, a particular um, idea of what investment firm do or doesn't do. Um, so then the way you do design, it might be completely different, right? Like suddenly you work in front, you go work in the go- in the government, your end uses are the most important thing where the money comes. You work in an info in a in investment firm, your customers are maybe someone that you need to take the money from, right? Which is sad. But I'm not talking about all the businesses though. But you know it's like different focuses require different things. And um and I really like what you mentioned before about maybe this is time to walk away. Sometimes you need to make a decision, right? It's like I don't, I don't want to design 
in this particular environment because I don't believe in what's happening and um, need to move away. When you are interviewing for a company, what is a sign that that company is taking design seriously and it's a place where you could really make an impact versus it being a place where you're just seen as a pixel pusher? Gosh, that is that is a good question. And I have a, I have a, I have a problem, Christian. I have a problem, which is that I get really excited very quickly. <laughs> so I'm very quickly like, oh my God, this is going to be the best thing ever in the world. So, <laughs> so normally kind of, uh, I, I have to say that is, it's hard for me to pick up that, you know, to make sure what's happening there is, um, might or might not have an impact. What I would say that kind of my sample something is who are you talking when you're interviewing? Are you talking to someone very low, low the chain of, of value that they might need just a pixel pusher to put into there? Or you're talking with a program manager that understands that you need to, it's, it's about who are you talking, right? Uh, and the responsibilities of the people that you're talking to, to make sure that um, it comes from a bit of a leadership kind of point of view that that is happening. A lot of times you might have conversations or interviews with people that might not be the leaders, uh, at least in the first one, which is normally it's normally the case, right? The leaders might not be involved in first interviews, but sure, yeah. it's important you get to to that point. Yeah. So let's change gears a little bit and talk about education. You're closely tied to the academic environment because you're mentoring and you're a guest lecturer at the London College of Communication. You studied design as well. What's your take on how designers should start their careers? Should it be self-taught? Should it be through education? Oh man, you're, you're touching you're touching important point there. I'm I don't. It's interesting. So I'm a lecturer and I work uh, in in few universities. But you know, putting completely bland, I don't believe in education in in higher education as such. I think there's a lot of holes. And there's things, a lot of stuff that needs to change. Um. So so you know, the the interesting point is that I. When I teach, you know, when I'm lecturing in, in these universities, I don't really lecture to creatives. So I normally go and then talk about design and creativity, mainly to photographers and architects and people that works in, in, in buildings, like creating buildings and stuff in terms of uh, asset management. And you talk about these things because you bring, you bring a, again, this collaboration initiative that come really closely to empathy and to design itself. And that becomes really interesting when you start to open up uh, their minds to make sure that when they're learning, they learn the things that make sense to them and they don't just kind of get it into the box and then try to kind of learn anything they want. Um, I do talk to a few, you know, I do a few initiatives with designers as well uh, at the London College of Communication. And um, it's, it's interesting, right? Because when I talk to designers, I will put the hat of developer on. So I'm like, oh, I'm just talking to you as a developer. I'm talking to you as someone that works with code and not as a creative uh, because they are creative, right? They're getting this information. But what really universities needed is having this broader spectrum and understanding how things are connected. My biggest learnings have always been with developers, right? Like I've learned collaboration with developers. And this is a funny statement because everyone thinks that engineers, they're in that room, they don't talk to anyone. They talk to everyone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, do you know they, do. I mean? yeah. <laughs> they talk to everyone in a global scale, right? It's like, oh, but they don't talk to the rest of the team. It's like, well, they are in GitHub and they are in public forums where they converse about all of this stuff that's happening. They're massive collaborators. You need to acknowledge that. I never learned a lot from them. I think just to talk a bit about that, the reason that developers get this bad rep of them being in a corner and not talking to everyone is because that's how their brains work, right? They need uninterrupted hours of focus time to be able to produce work. Absolutely. So then of course they're not talking to anyone because talking to everyone would mean they couldn't do their work at the highest quality. But actually, if you go out after work with them, or if you catch them at lunch, uh, sit them at the same table as, as they are, they are not these nerds in the corner that everyone thinks they are. They are actually great people and very social as well. Uh, last question on, the, on education. What do you think is a blind spot that designers have when they get out of school? Um, I would say collaboration, definitely collaboration. That's the blind spot. That they, have. they don't understand that they are part of a chain. And this is really important. But would you say that's 
that's because you don't learn collaboration at school or it's because you learn a bit but it's not enough or you don't get to try it out that's 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 a very interesting uh kind of thing because you're right you know they learn about collaboration among designers but they don't talk about cross collaboration right like how do you collaborate with other people how do you understand that your designs once again going back to the idea of the business your design is a piece in the puzzle right or maybe it's the code right it's the code that makes the whole puzzle beautiful and that's absolutely great right you put it on top of the puzzle shiny and nice but you need to understand that when you go out in the wild you have a responsibility towards certain areas that you're good at as a designer you've been trained for this you've been training a lot of stuff you have to put it in practice in order to achieve a collective goal right so we're approaching the end just uh before we go into the standard end questions that i ask everyone i just want to talk a little bit or i want you to talk a little bit about your digital rights because it's a subject that i'm deeply passionate about uh, privacy online digital privacy and tell us the story of how that started tell i tell us the story of the uk government's answer to to you trying to incorporate that and uh, tell us a bit what your digital rights is and why it's important sure that's a great story i always love it and so we've we've launched uh, the digital rights uh, two years ago right after gdpr legislation was was in place uh, we quickly understood that GDPR, uh, to start with, is really hard to even think about what does it mean. So what does it mean, GDPR? It's like, how do I, how do I a, get involved with any of these things? It's really, it's really dark or really kind of obscure how an individual, like you, me, anyone uh, that have any connection with Europe uh, in this particular case, they could action those laws, right? So we've understood very quickly that we need to give the power to the users. It's like, or, or to the people, right? It's like, why is this important for me? Because when GDPR came aboard, I don't know if you remember that, that we got absolutely bombarded with every company that we ever touched with. That was ridiculous, right? People didn't know what was going on. It's like, what is this? It's like, why are you telling me this? Why are you asking me this? I don't understand. They don't have an, 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 a clear understanding of uh, what, why is that happening and how can I action these things? You know, you own your rights, you own your data and it's yours. You need to remember that who you are and, and you know, where you sit is really important. It could change the, the way a government kind of functions. And we've seen this before, right? Like we've seen it in different cases in the States. We've seen it in the UK. It, like having that data could change the course of history. It will change it. So we need to make sure that we understand that we as citizens we could reclaim those rights we can say hey these are my rights i don't want to be part of anything that you're doing we're talking about a specific company so we're talking about what they call data brokers which is basically companies that deal with long like big uh, chunks of of data and they sell and buy this later so what we did with digital rights is make a very simple application like very simple task where we give them the option to users to uh, find a company that they maybe been bothered with or they don't want to be part of them anymore. And we provide them with the legal uh, jargon and the legal kind of points for them to opt out of their data in a safely manner and really easily. But then, you know, we realized that obviously we need to get, and this is the story that you that you want to hear. So we, we realized that we need to go into the next level and try to um, to make this a bit more efficient. So, we've, uh, so we thought that maybe having a charity would be the most interesting part of this. And then we apply for this charity body and then we have this answer back saying, technically that the right of privacy is not a right in the UK. So it's not a real right. That's <laughs> It's absolutely nice, oh right? Oh my God, it's, it's nuts, yeah. yeah. It's absolutely nice. So we were like, but what, is, what do you mean? Is that, well, it's not a right as in, you know, it's in, as in uh, our papers. So which means that if you're doing something as a charity for, for rights of privacy, you're loving to have that right into the government. So we cannot give you a charity body because you're loving. You're making politics. And I'm like, what? Wow. <laughs> right. <laughs> what is this? It's, yeah. like, it's really crazy, right? So it, it, it was a bit of a, of a, of a mind-blowing situation. And we're just trying to deal with that. And, and actually, in fact, this is the first time I've talked about this publicly. So, um, so it's good to kind of start talking about Put it out there, yeah. what can we do next. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Nice. And uh, just to let everyone know, this is all free. Anyone can use this for free. Uh, you're not 
charging anyone to to opt out from the different companies you're just providing them with a template and an easy way to submit their data requests and uh, if i'm not mistaken people can find this at yourdigitalrights.org right absolutely yourdigitalrights.org great awesome let's ask you the the last the two standard questions so uh first one is what is one thing you wish more designers would know it might sound cliche but yeah knowing about business is really important the understanding of the designs into a broader picture they need to know more about this it's something that they need to learn i'm trying to learn more and more and, and that's definitely the one thing that i will look for like how how anything that happens around me will impact my designs so then you do designs better basically great and how do you reckon the future of design looks like i love this question that's my favorite that's my favorite question ever so i don't know how it will look obviously because maybe tomorrow something that COVID happens and it goes all over the place but what i like to be is and this is a very specific kind of intake that i have from this what i really want this to be is that we think about interfaces not as a visual interfaces only I know there is a bunch of initiatives. Uh, we know we've got Alexa, we've got, you know, we've got phones, but they're quite evil, quite intrusive sometimes even, and quite complicated to manage. But my take is that um, the future will be more like less visual. Uh, and we will leave visual for other things, right? I love enjoying visual. I love to go into a website that is photography led and you know, I get lost in there and I've got my own experience. I love it. It's great. I, I work, I do things for that as well. But if I want to, going back to our BG background, if I want to know my next bill, guys, just, just tell me how much it is. I don't, I don't even care, you know, just, I want to say to Alexa, hey, Alexa, how much is my next bill? And that's it. They tell you and, that, and, that, and it's gone, right? And those are things that services and interfaces that needs to go. So hopefully in the future, we will be in a place that no one collects our data, <laughs> from from anywhere, <laughs> ideally, no one no no one records everything for from us and you know try to kind of put it to us. Uh, but we also make it much more um, easy to do the services. Hopefully, you know, by not using visuals. The best interface is no interface, isn't that what they say? Absolutely, absolutely, that's the one. Rafa, uh, where can people find you? The best place to find me is uh, madeabroad.io. This is uh, the company where I've got all, you know, where I kind of produce my stuff. I do a lot of work as a consultant, as you guys know, but I've also partnered with my with my wife, Rosa Viroa. She's an animator, and you can see all our work in there, madeabroad.io, um, as well as, you know, a few links from um, Instagram and, and LinkedIn. LinkedIn, I would say I was such a, I don't want to link it in my life, but now I actually think that LinkedIn is the social media of the future. <laughs> so yeah, LinkedIn is definitely the place. If you want to reach me out quickly, go to LinkedIn. I'll be there. Right. We're going to put all the notes, all your links in the, in the show notes of the episode so everyone can easily find you. Rafa, this has been an hour that passed very, very fast. This has been a learning experience. Hopefully everyone listening thinks the same. Really appreciate you being on Design Meets Business and I hope we'll catch up soon. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me, man. Nice to see you. All right. Cheers, man. You too. That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Since you've made it this far, I hope you found this useful. And if you did, you should know there's much more content just like this on the way. So if you want to learn more about how designers can impact businesses, please consider subscribing and maybe sharing the episode with others. And before I say goodbye, remember that you can find show notes and links for this episode and others on our website, designmeetsbusiness.co. Catch you in the next one.